0: This is Father Bonaventure Chapman.
1: And this is Father Gregory Pine.
0: Welcome to Godsplaining. Thanks to all those who support us. If you enjoy the show, please consider making a monthly donation, or more frequent, on Patreon. Be sure to like, subscribe to God's Plain wherever you listen to your podcasts. Father Gregory, we've got a special episode here, as you can tell. And listeners, if you are merely listeners and not viewers, head to you need to be viewers now for, for a moment, because this is a guest episode with Professor Thomas Ward. Professor Ward, thanks for being with us. Really happy to be here. Now, Professor Ward, why I say to switch to video is because he has, like Salvador Dali, a very distinctive facial feature. Uh, his mustache or mustachio is spectacular and praise and brings the glory to God, as far as I can tell. Um, so, switch. Do not do, if you're driving the car right now, do not. Do not switch to video for this. But when you get home, um, check it out. But uh, Professor Thomas Ward is with us to talk about his new book on SCOTUS, which we'll get to, but a little before that, I suppose. Um, Professor Thomas Ward is the is a professor at the, in the Department of Philosophy at Baylor University in Texas, Waco, that is, um, and has degrees from Oxford, uh, so you hear a lot of English sort of sounding things, and Tolkien and Lewis, I'm sure, in the background, um, also from University of California in Los Angeles, um, a PhD in philosophy there in 2011. He's produced a number of, of books, one's John Don Sco- John Scotus on Parts and Holes and Hylomorphism, which is a a good read for lent um but very excellent uh a short book divine ideas which is fantastic it tells you exactly what divine ideas are and then uh the book we're talking about today which is uh ordered by love i'm gonna hold it up this might be the best uh paperback in the catholic world published except for maybe this year these two are vying prudence here with father gregory and ordered by love so dr ward it's a pleasure to have you here
2: Uh, again it's it's really
0: good to be here, and. I expect to laugh a lot over the next half hour. <laughs> Good. That's the goal. That's the goal. So, um, so first off, uh, this, this book on SCOTUS is, is spectacular. Um, and if you're tuning in, God's Pointers might think, well, why in the world are we having a SCOTUS guy on? Because we're Dominicans, and Dominicans like Thomas, and, Tom, Tom, and Thomas doesn't like or wouldn't like SCOTUS. So maybe by the end of this episode, um, the ideal listener will say, you know... Maybe that Scotus guy, not so bad. That's the kind of bigger project, but Father Gregory will deny that. We'll see. Um, but I want to talk about this book because you've done, I think, what is seems almost impossible to do is you've made Scotus the subtle doctor. He's known for his very intricate positions on things, extremely, extremely detailed. You've made him not only intelligible, But I would say like deeply likable and attractive and i'm not talking about just like his positions on things but you get a sense that he is a lover i was thinking about this you 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 compare this book or at least it it is compared this book to aquinas's dumb ox sorry chesterton's uh, book on aquinas called the dumb ox um, which is just an incredible book incredible book and you thought you say this this book ought to be or would be called if see if Chesterton was writing this book uh the tonsured eagle and I like that because um, Chesterton calls Aquinas the dumb ox in that he is Thomas of the creator. He has this one image, like the, Thomas is of the creator. And I was thinking if you were to give Blessed John John, John Scotus a title, it would be something like of the lo- divine lover, right? So what is it about it's the title, book titled Order by Love? Do you think it's fair to say that Scotus is really the, uh, a theologian of the divine lover, and and how so? What what is what is it about love and Scotus um, that's important?
2: That's a really big, deep question. Um, and I <laughs> wherever think you want, right, I think you're right that it that love is a central kind of unifying concept across a lot of aspects of Scotus's thought. Um, probably the the way in which Scotus is most Commonly thought of in connection with love is the controversial position that he and other Franciscans took on this medieval dispute that I know you both know a lot about, which is in the beatific vision, is that uh, union with God, primarily an act of the intellect, or an act of the will. And of course, both uh, parties to the dispute agree that, it's, um, that it is both um, uh, an act of the will and an act of the intellect. So the question is, which, is, which has the primacy? and um and scotus argued uh, powerfully that it is uh love and aquinas argued powerfully that it's intellect so that's that's probably the context in which most people would come to think of scotus as having a special emphasis on love but i i think you're right to emphasize divine love and that's um that comes out in scotus's uh, theology and um and metaphysics even in a few different ways but um probably most importantly for scotus it is the the way in which he understands god's free freedom in relation to creation there's uh, there's nothing about the, the created order that compels god to do anything there's nothing about the divine nature that compels god to be a creator at all so scotus locates the reason for creation itself so to speak in god as lover he just loves uh, the idea of the world that he goes on to make and preeminently loves one person in particular or one nature in particular and that is the the human nature of christ and so out of love uh, for that individualized nature desires, so to speak, to be unified with it, hypostatically, and to have a whole world and a whole world story in which that uh, that union of divine and human natures in Christ can be sort of the, the main event.
0: Um,
1: okay, I'm gonna do a zoom out and a zoom in, zoom out, I'm thinking of people who listen to God's planning, um, some of whom I know, a couple of whom are my sisters. Um, they might not know who blessed John Duns Scotus is. So first thing would be, could you just say a word of introduction? Mm -hmm. Um, who is he? I mean, he's a Franciscan. We've heard that much. When did he live? Uh, maybe what were his major contributions?
2: Great. He was born in 1265. Um, so nine years before Aquinas died and he died in 1308, uh, he was, as as his name suggests, he was born in Scotland as a young teenager. Uh, he had already joined the Franciscans. They recognized his intelligence, sent him down to Oxford, um, south to Oxford. I, I, Oxonians say up to Oxford, no matter where you are in proximity to it's Oxford. It's always
0: up to Oxford. It's always up, up
2: to, to Oxford. So they, they sent him up to Oxford, um, which was down south. And then uh, after a while, he got sent over to Paris, um, which was an even better university at the time. And he managed to achieve the highest uh, teaching job available to Franciscans at the University of Paris, uh, despite having his Parisian career interrupted um, by exile when he supported um, the Pope against the King of France in a dispute those two were having, Um, was sent away, but did come back, had his teaching gig. And then for reasons mysterious to historians uh, his orders sent him away uh, from paris to cologne in germany to presumably to teach at the house of studies there Um, a relative backwater culturally and intellectually speaking compared to paris um unfortunately he died within about a year of getting to cologne and he's buried there so relatively short young life he died in his early 40s um was as you say, a, Franc- a Franciscan, but primarily an academic. You know, not like a lot of the Franciscans of the 13th century who were you know, missionaries or uh, trying to serve the poor. He was on on the on the academic side. So, as far as his contribution goes, uh, they they're all theological and philosophical. The contribution that the Church most values him for is his teaching on the Immaculate Conception of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Um, Theologians in the late 13th, early 14th century had more or less converged um, around the traditional view that um, if Mary wasn't conceived immaculately, she was cleansed of of original sin at the latest, like the moment after her conception. So, So there was already quite a bit of convergence, but Scotus ran some arguments to, pushed just a little bit further. So prior to her conception, uh, she was all preserved from original sin. And um, as you know, eventually that, that became dogma, even though it was long before it was officially dogmatized, it was a deeply entrenched position. But SCOTUS has that sort of uh, claim to fame uh, for, for pushing theological consensus in, in the right direction.
1: Nice. Okay, I'm going to be in Cologne in like a month and a half. The last oh, time that I was visit. there, I visited the body of Saint Albert the Great, but I didn't know that Blessed John Duns Scotus was there. So now I have another pilgrimage to make. Um, yeah, so, the right church.
2: Yeah.
1: Okay. Nice. Yeah. Um, my my then my follow up uh, to Father Bonaventure's question about love is I'm interested in how love is a form of knowing, or I'm, I'm interested in how knowing and loving converge, because. I self-identify as a Thomist. I don't have original thoughts. I just think things that St. Thomas said slash thought, but worse. Um, but he has some convergent points, one of which I'm thinking of is the gift of wisdom. So he talks about how the virtues are perfected by the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the virtue of charity, which we associate with the will, you know, or those who think what St. Thomas do, uh, is perfected by wisdom, which we would typically associate with the mind. But he describes it as a kind of sympathy for divine things or a suffering of divine things so this idea that at a certain point uh knowing and loving kind of come together and then especially with things you know greater than our minds it's better to love them than it is to know them insofar as that ecstatic movement of love binds you up with the thing beloved which is it's better to be with the beloved thing which is greater than you than to assimilate it and have it yeah kind of assume the contours of your mind so maybe in a in an ironic spirit, could you just talk a little bit about Scotus's wisdom and where places that you see he has kind of knowing and loving come together and mutually enriching?
2: This is a long pause. I'm sorry about that. That's that's also a deep question. It's like it's almost like <laughs> I'm having a conversation with Dominicans.
0: Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, we apologize for being next ourselves. Time. Yeah. How do you like cats? Yeah. <laughs>
1: what about cat videos?
0: Yeah.
2: Let me, let me show you some pictures of my kids. <laughs>
0: <laughs> wow! Look at that one. Oh my gosh.
2: Okay. Uh, well, well I, I don't quite know what to say here. Maybe you can. Maybe you can help me a little bit. Uh,
0: well, maybe the yeah. The, I guess the concern. Maybe this is um for Dominicans have this little trope. We always say, "Well, you can't." You know. Can't love it if you don't know it, um, and wisdom is the divine ordering of of, of all things, um, and so that they, the loving as you say is kind of secondary. Where I guess Dominicans are concerned that if loving becomes like the primary one, perhaps, and and it's not guided by wisdom in the sense of the intellect in some fashion or other, then it it could become unmoored, perhaps, or it doesn't seem to have that till lot the right direction towards an end, perhaps. Um, so what in what sense is is SCOTUS's wisdom, and you say it's, you said the book is not ordered by love, and I think that's right. Um, but order seems to incline to being a, a sort of intellectual kind of structure, whereas loving seems to be more kind of a, an emotional, passion kind of uh, movement, you could say. Um, so, how, how do these relate? Even though, so the, you said the primary Scotus's uh, SCOTUS is love um, over, over will, the will over intellect in a sense, but how are they coordinated or how is it ordered by love? As opposed to ordered around by love, or if it is ordered around by love, how is that not arbitrary or something like that? Maybe that's is that what maybe that's a good question. It might not be Father Gregory's question, but it might be an okay question. Yeah, yeah,
2: <laughs> that, that that helps. Uh, thanks. How methodical
0: uh, is this love? I guess. Yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> so there there is um, there is some debates among readers of Scotus about how say how radical to interpret his doctrine of the will's freedom. Mm-hmm. Um, some do seem to think that that Scotus, maybe by the end of his career, had this view that I don't really find in Scotus, according to which um, the will is pretty much completely unconditioned by intellect, such that it can just sort of, you know, will, just radical willing, it doesn't need an act of the intellect at all. And that doesn't make much sense to me. Certainly hope it's not Scotus's view. I don't think it is. <laughs> Um, so, so, um, a more moderate, I think more reasonable view would be to say that, um, you know, there, there cannot be, uh, an act of will, uh, without an act of intellect because the intellect supplies the will, so to speak with its options. Now, one, um, uh, difference between, uh, Aquinas and Scotus on this point is that for Scotus, the, the, the will. The nature of the will is is to retain that freedom even in the event that the intellect is able to present uh uh, its its object in a completely clear way you know let's say we get we get this um uh perfect understanding of god um unqualifiedly good there's no there's no way that any other option could be more choice worthy uh does the will retain its freedom aquinas says no i mean yes in the sense that it's you know that's it's like it's reached its goal and but it it, it cannot it cannot refuse maybe we could put it that way which mm-hmm. maybe is the same thing as no longer retaining its freedom scotus does think that if if it could refuse in that circumstance it would lose its freedom um and so supposes that even then, the will has some sort of power uh, not to love the object presented to it by the intellect. It it can refuse, so to speak, even in that idealized intellectual circumstance. Now, it's a condition on on beatitude that we uh, never fall away and never have the sort sort of the fear or the anxiety of ever falling away. And so SCOTUS recognizing that has has God give us a special grace of firmness Mm -hmm. of will so that in fact, Mm -hmm. we won't fall away. But there's nothing in the will as such that is, so to speak, uh, bound to will even the infinite good. Um, And that's, you know, I'm not sure what I think about that. Uh, This is is related to uh, his, you know, maybe almost equally controversial view that the will has two fundamental orientations or affections not just to uh happiness which you might think is the sort of view that aquinas is committed to um but also so an affection toward one's happiness scotus thinks but also an affection toward what is good in itself Mm -hmm. and the moral life for scotus really revolves in one sense around uh evaluating courses of action in the light of one's both one's affection for one's own advantage and the affection for justice or the affection for what is good in itself. Ideally, Scotus thinks we would come to love God perfectly for God's own sake, because he mm-hmm. is the highest good, and not for the sake of the fact that in so loving him we are we ourselves as agents are completed or fulfilled or anything like that yeah and i know that aquinas too thinks that that's that's ultimately what happens we, we do love god for his own sake and in doing mm-hmm. so are blessed um uh but there's a there's a special emphasis there and in, in scotus that i think uh goes beyond aquinas
0: yeah that's certainly and um and i want to take that for a second and drop back um and then we're gonna get back to love in a second here um because you've got to get back to love i mean it's, right it's the most important thing right father gregory okay um but uh valentine's day too Exactly right. Yeah. And if you're listening to this podcast now, even though it's live, Valentine's Day happened a couple of weeks ago. So um, go ahead and uh, and buy this book. If you forgot about Valentine's Day and it's now two weeks later, um, this is a book about lovers for lovers by a lover. Um, so that's great. Anyway, back to this though. So this, as you, you mentioned, these kind of the radical freedom, of course, uh, you have these two, the, the will can choose these sort of things. Um, uh, the standard story at least is that like scotus is a modern baddie you know it's a black hat fellow uh in this in wearing a franciscan habit and like we can just see there are certain ways you tell the story whether you're from certain theological circles or philosophical or cultural circles and all this um but you might think you know it takes a lot of truth to float in error uh you know not smart people are smart not everything stupid is stupid um but Scotus does kind of, to me at least, if you step back for a second, he does sit in the straddling between um, the medieval, kind of traditional, you could say, whatever that might mean by that, um, and the modern. Like he is, I don't think it's his fault that some things of happen, but you can see some of, of the i would i would say the degenerations from scotus is kind of in the franciscan position uh if you were a tom- if you know if you're coming from a different perspective you could say you might see that the natural outworkings of this it's like it's not like a an oak tree is the degeneration of an oak seed that's just what it becomes and uh, you might think like welcome modernity where we don't believe in god anymore that's just what scotus gives us um i don't think that's true let's be hesitant about that but one issue, particularly, for instance, it, he has so many of these key positions that you could just read as modern nonsense, like radical freedom, you know, independence of indeterminacy. I get to decide ultimately. It's not not guided by the good per se, but I get to choose ultimately at some point. Again, I think it's a bad view of ex- what Scotus is up to for the reasons you mentioned about him being methodical lover and all this. But another one, for instance, is like individuality. Uh, Scotus has this. Scotus is really big. G- G- uh, Gerald Manley Hopkins brings this up in his poetry about dappled things and the kind of, that scotus is the man of the individual thing he really wants like things are very detailed from their individuals he's very excited about individual and i i and you could read he's got this modern sense of individual kind of focus as opposed to you know a common good issue but i think you can read it and ought to read it as the under the lover rubric this is how i think of it is the, and i think you made this in the point in the book as well is scotus believes in the individuals because god because love is about individual persons individuals you don't love really love math not fully or thomism you love saint thomas you know or you love jennifer you love what like individual people so so maybe talk quickly about why scotus cares so much about the individuals and why that the good parts of that maybe um without worrying about the kind of individualism like scotus you could think it might be individualism or individualistic, but I think he's just a lover, and that requires, in a sense, this focus on the individual. Does that make any sense? It it does, and I think it's beautifully said.
2: And it it, it makes me. I, th- I think it's worth saying here that your, your Scotus is sometimes um, associated with William of Ockham and nominalism, uh which you know denies that say we all have a human nature that sets certain kinds of norms for uh flourishing or harm for what we for the kinds of things that we are and so so nominalism had all, has all sorts of problems it is uh part of the genealogy i think of uh, all the bad stuff that uh, scotus is sometimes accused of starting but but that sort of focus on the nominalists focus on individuals is very very different from the sort of focus on individuals that scotus has um i mean for one thing at the level of like technical metaphysics which we don't need to get into scotus focuses on his theory of individuality primarily because he is a realist about natures so if 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 we share natures in common what is it that makes us distinct and so it's in that context that he um uh, develops his Version of the doctrine of individuation, whereas the nominalist, of course, doesn't need to confront that problem. So, so both at the level of metaphysics, but then also, and I think more profoundly, what you're talking about, Father Bonaventure, that God's love extends all the way down to individuals. And so, whatever the metaphysical arguments are, there is this sort of, uh, you know, ethos uh, with which Scotus does philosophy and theology that is centered on God's love. And again, as I said at the beginning, preeminently, um, the love for Christ you mm-hmm. know? So, oh, yeah. in one sense is um, a love for himself, um, but is also a love for that individualized human nature that from all eternity he saw and wanted to be united with. Um, yeah, that's, and, yeah. that's gorgeous. The whole, whole ordering of the cosmos it starts with an individual and then builds out individuals from there. Yeah. Now, when I say starts with an individual, I should say starts starts with with God Himself, with the with the Trinity loving loving itself perfectly, and so doing anything it does for God's own sake. And so, like the the next thought, so to speak, mm-hmm. is well, I f- we freely will to uh, love ourselves by uh, uniting ourselves. You, with the nature lighting the second person of the Trinity in Christ and creating a whole world for him to exist in
0: who cares about sin. Yeah, exactly. Father Gregory, I, I know where you take it.
1: You don't know. Um, <laughs> well you may. Uh, so philosophers will often use the word worry, uh, to describe a variety of things, but kind of on a spectrum from on the one end, like prepossessing thought or preoccupation to the other end, naughty intellectual problem that has not yet been or may never be solved which animates further inquiry and i think that over the course of the conversation we've been getting at a couple of uh, scotus's worries um again not in a negative sense just in the sense of the particular thoughts which animate his enterprise his theological enterprise or his inquiry and um when it comes to the thing that you just mentioned the incarnation i guess i'm I'm curious as to what what his worry is, like why he wants to frame creation around Christ's human nature or to enshrine Christ's human nature at the heart of creation, because I suspect there's good reason for it, um, but I don't know what it's responding to in the sense that I don't know what is what is it that he really wants to yeah, emphasize or push back against or otherwise incorporate into his theory? Like, how does this represent the answer to a question? Or is it a question that's being asked? I'm just not sure. So yeah, how did he come to this type of conclusion? What types of war is animated? I suppose that's what I'm looking for.
2: Yeah. So God for SCOTUS is the the most methodical lover, the most orderly lover. So if uh, so, so given God's decision to become incarnated in Christ. Um, God does that for love, ultimately love for himself, but also we can say God, uh, in doing that out of love, loves in the right order. And so so the thought then would be, there would be something um, unseemly for God to to do the most awesome thing possible in creation, uh, unite himself with a creature for the sake of uh, primarily for the sake of fixing a problem with human beings. Hmm. Instead, instead, the thought is God, God does this most awesome thing in creation for his own sake. Um, And then uh, that firmly fixed as the main thing, then you know, he could make all sorts of choices about what additional um, awesome things he'll do uh, with his incarnation or while incarnated and, and so then solving the sin problem is uh logically posterior to the decision to 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 become incarnate but is still something that is eternally willed it's just um not logically the sin problem or fixing the sin problem is not logically prior to god's election to become incarnate
0: the main Um, oh yeah yeah. so the problem now though is that that raises the new problem or at least you did is now i can't get my our god is an awesome god out of my head because awesomeness was just now the property ascribed to why he's creating things which is just that is devastating that's that's a worse problem than sin as far as like and like the original the fall yeah getting that song stuck in your head exactly because it is worse It is. it is it's basically basic evil yeah exactly yeah
1: have you have you go, has he, blah, 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 have you you gone back and looked at the lyrics of the verses to that song? Um, if I recall, I believe one of them goes, when he rolls up his sleeves, he's not just putting on the Ritz. Ritz. Uh, I think that's right. Exactly. Yeah. Awesome. God. Yeah. No, that's absolutely right. He's and it, got, has,
0: it has gestures with it. Evangelical days. Uh, I think Dr. Professor Ward, yeah, I think you were an evangelical uh, convert as well as I was, so. Um, we've all made mistakes. Uh, and, uh, and that was an added piece to the God coming in the flesh in Christ was he also had to kind of deal with those mistakes. Um, he just wanted to come around and, and, and be awesome. And then they made this song and then the redemption needed. Okay. But, um, so that's, let me, maybe. maybe. let me say something yeah, do it.
2: that's really boring. Um, as a, as a additional thing to father Gregory's question, which is that great, um, in Love the wake the condemnations of 1277, by, by Bishop Tempier, uh orthodox uh, minded theologians all sort of went into uh, like divine freedom preservation mode, like they, 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 mm-hmm. they took it as a main goal of theology to emphasize God's freedom, to secure God's freedom, especially God's freedom from uh, the created order. That is, there's no facts about creatures mm-hmm. that determine God to do anything one way or another. So I think one one additional kind of worry or problem that we could see the uh primacy of incarnation teaching um, sort of answering to is that uh you know if you if you think back to Anselm's cur Deus homo and we have this kind of necessitarian language in in Anselm that you know given the way in which humans messed things up so badly and dishonored God God had to uh fix the problem and and could only do it in this way and and so on. And so so even though I think you could read Anselm carefully so that he's not really thinking that God is is compelled, uh, there is the necessitarian language. And so you could see Scotus as Mm -hmm. reacting strongly against that in the wake of 1277 by, you know, making this big stop. Like, no, it's not in response, primarily in response to anything wrong with creation, any duties Mm -hmm. that God has to creatures. Uh, it's just an expression, ultimate, primarily of God's self-love and anything else it does is posterior to
0: that. Dear listeners, now you see the value of history in philosophy and theology that because 1277, good reason why uh, it's not just like spinning out this theory, but actually responding to that. Yeah, there we go. Excellent. Um, We're running out of time, but I cannot let you go without you giving at least a brief discussion, comment on uh, a thing that most Dominicans are kind of sore about uh the macro conception of course um because uh, Dominicans all feel like SCOTUS won but for like he was right for the wrong reasons whereas we were wrong for the right reasons like at least we didn't raise a creature to deification whereas SCOTUS is kind of account oftentimes at least the potted version is SCOTUS is kind of like well I mean God could do it why not you know, um, and you think that's just <laughs> someone may not be excited about that that exactly. But in the book, uh, and this is the the if please if you have any questions about Scotus on on this or anything or just about Christianity in general or, or humanity or love, <laughs> uh, this is a book for you. But um, uh, what Scotus Scotus the defense of the Macan conception is for is for Christ. It's for Christ with Scotus, and it's not just God just wielding unbelievable power. Um, right. This is an alchemist. So what is what is Scotus? What is why does Scotus believe in immaculate conception? What is that extra piece you said, and why is it related to Christ that's so beautiful?
2: Yeah, good. So it's not yeah, it's not merely that God could do it. Um, so the the thought is that Christ, what Christ does for us is uh, is so let's call it powerful, effective, so to speak, that it has void awesome. It's yeah, it has it has the Christ's merits have the potential not just to uh save people who have already fallen but to prevent people from falling in the first place and so then there's this argument for for fittingness that it is fitting that god would uh, save someone through christ's merits in this preemptive way um as a as a testament to the full range of christ's redemptive power the redemptive power of christ's merits So it's fitting that someone would do it and then once once you've sort of gone along with that then it's like fitting that that it would be the mother of god who receives that benefit both as a way of honoring her but also as a way of honoring himself so there is this um you know certainly a lot of marian love in scotus uh but also but 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 the marian doctrine itself is also tied to Scotus' understanding of the of the primacy of Christ. Yeah,
0: mm-hmm. yeah it's it and I, I love it as a it's it's like the the focus on individuality in this perfect human being that he's that he's made for Christ, this that Mary and Scotus is beautiful the doctor of Immaculate Conception or Doctor of of Mary or something at some point, uh, you know, Doctor Marie, whatever. Uh, we'll see. But um, there's more to be said, of course, Professor Ward. Um, but it's been delightful to to chat with you and and talk a little about this his book, um, which is available. Um, it came out actually on Sc- Dun Scotus's feast day, I believe. Um, you have another longer. You have a translation of his uh, his on first principles coming out with a commentary, um, and that's if you once you once you read this book and you say, wow. I want to see how much of an achievement this book really was. Then you read that and you realize, whoa, Subtle Doctor is indeed subtle. So um, and people can find your, your work online as well at different places. So uh, thank you so much for, for joining us and to explain to us about SCOTUS and sharing with us a, a little about this too, to Thomas, who not everyone always knows exactly who he is. Yeah, thank you so much. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, so that's uh, for us listeners, by the way, if you're looking for a book uh, or for anything in life, here it is. Okay, but back to this thing. Um, thanks again for all of our supporters. If you'd like to tithe to our, tithe, if you'd like to give to our work, um, check us out on Patreon.com forward slash God'splain. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. I think we do dancing now or something. I don't understand. Maybe the mustache. We'll move back and forth on this episode. Like, subscribe, leave a five-star review. Uh, visit God'splain.org to shop our merchandise and to get updates uh, and information about up. Coming God's Planning events and retreats and all that sort of thing. But um, for us, that's it from here. Thanks for joining us. Please keep praying for us and we'll pray for you. And we'll catch you next time on God's Planning.